Hey, uh, welcome. You guys, so glad you guys are here. Uh, I spent a few days in Texas this week with some church planters and this planter that's going to be planting in Johnstown, and we're super excited to be a part of that. And so please, uh, you know, come and talk to me about that. We're just getting pumped up. Uh, Jeff, and I think his wife's name is Gail. Is that correct? Is it Gail? Uh, poor, so we're excited about them. Hey, a few things uh, coming up uh, is uh, Fire Pit Friday is going to be on August 13th at the Armstrong's house, uh, and they're excited about that, and they put in a pool. It's not a huge pool, but it is a pool. Is it going to be open for Fire Pit Friday? No. Did I just throw I you a curveball? Did you put an in-ground pool in before Fire Pit Friday? Because last time we gave you a challenge, you, you, you hit it out of the park. Anyway, uh, so we hope you guys are able to come and be a part of that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then obviously, uh, we're going to do a dive-in movie on August 21st. We've went, rented out Winona's pool, and we're going to have, I, a, there's, we have a couple movies that we're looking at, and we'll throw it out and let you guys decide which one it is going to be. I'm leaning towards The Sandlot, because that's one of the greatest movies of all time. If you haven't seen The Sandlot, you can go find another church. Anyway, so we're super pumped. Uh, please invite as many people to that as you can. Um, that is just a great way for us to do outreach. There's going to be a lot of food. It is all free uh, for your neighbors, for your friends. And uh, so that would be just a great opportunity. Um, tonight after church uh, at 7 o'clock, you're more than welcome to stick around. Luke Ibbing, who is from Iowa, is going to be uh, in concert here tonight. Uh, that's being uh, hosted by Beggar's Gate. And so... Yeah, if you don't have anywhere else to go, you're more than welcome to stay, but no pressure on that. And then last one is next week. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, which means dinner. And so dinner is actually going to be a part of the service. And so if you're one of those that like sneaks out before we eat dinner, you're weird, but uh, it's going to be actually a part of the service. And so we hope you guys uh, come hungry and be a part of that next um, the video, I, I love those videos. I, I did, I, when I was younger, I never knew that people like split their pools and did those kind of things. But I was trying to figure out, it reminded me of, you know when your kid or your husband spills the water at the table or the drink, and you try everything you can to like hold the liquid back, and you're, it really is, uh, you're kind of fighting against gravity and all this. But it got me to thinking, man, there's nothing, you can't like stop the water can't stop it from coming out. It's one thing to have a cup of water or a soda. It's another thing for a swimming pool. Could you imagine trying to hold back the Poudre River with your hands? You're like, I can do this. And obviously you can't. Uh, go to the Hoover Dam. If the Hoover Dam just exploded and you were down there, uh, you would only not be able to hold back the water. You would die trying. And then uh, obviously people in tsunamis there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's going to happen. It's going to take over. It's going to move. And we see in the book of Acts that God gives the apostles this challenge. He wants them to do something specific. And if you do this, the gospel message is going to move. And there's nothing the enemy can do to hold it back. Uh, just like that water. They can try their very best, but they will not be able to hold it back. And the, the passage of scripture that just sets the, the tone for the entire book of Acts is found in 1.8. Uh, 
chapter 1, verse 8. And this is what it says, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones that are going to tell everybody what you have seen, what you have heard. You're going to tell them about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, even in Samaria. Those people that don't like you very much in Samaria, you're going to tell them too. Even to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth at this point in time was the Roman Empire. That's what they knew as the ends of the earth. What does that look like? Over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you guys just some simple tools. Uh, but what does it look like to share the gospel message with somebody? Uh, the one that I'll share with you tonight, I think probably if you've been in church at all, um, over the last uh, 10 or 15, 20 years, you've probably seen this. But this is really a simple one. Uh, but this is what God had in mind. He had him here. And us here, and in the Garden of Eden, there was perfect harmony, right? And that's what his goal was, is to have harmony. Uh, but then what happens? You guys know this? Sin enters the world. And now, because of the sin, we have this chasm. We have this separation from God. And there's nothing that we can do on our own accord to make up for this. So sin actually enters in Genesis 3. And in Romans, it gives us even worse news that not only did sin enter the world, but everybody has done it. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even worse news in Romans is that the wages of sin is death. And so this sucks. This doesn't look very good. We don't like this. You shouldn't like this. You shouldn't like it for you. You shouldn't like it for your friends. You shouldn't like it for your family. We shouldn't like it for anybody. This is the worst case scenario. And there's only two ways that we can fix this problem. Um, the first one is you could live a perfect life. If you live a perfect life, then we don't have this, right? But obviously, what did we just say Romans says? Everybody has fallen short. So we can't be perfect. We can't perfect our way to heaven. So there needs to be a better solution, and that's why God sent Jesus to the earth to basically pave a way for us. And the little hurdle is, and this is the little hurdle, and it's your only responsibility, is you have to accept it. You have to embrace it. You have to believe it. You have to Acknowledge the fact that Jesus did what he did and embrace him as your Lord and Savior. Now, when we do this, when we present the gospel message, and I'll do a few more over the next few weeks, um, and you may find one that you really like. And the cool thing about these that I'm going to show you is anybody can do it. You can draw it on a napkin. You can be in a restaurant or a coffee shop, brewery, wherever you are, and you can draw this out for somebody. And the ones that I'm going to show you over the next few weeks, very simple. There's one thing that God uh, did not say when presenting the gospel, and it's that he did not say it would be easy. He did not say, hey, when you go out and do this, it's going to be easy. Apostles, here's what I want you to do. There's 120 believers all in a room. They all received the Holy Spirit, and they're going to send them out. But they didn't say that it would be very easy. In fact, it's going to be very difficult. And any church that is living on mission, that's living on sharing the gospel, 
is going to feel some resistance, even sometimes persecution. And it's what's guaranteed to us in Scripture. And the church is you, so guess what? If you are living on mission, if you are living out the gospel and sharing it with people, you will experience resistance. But you will be being obedient to God, which is more important. But you're going to feel some resistance, maybe even some persecution. It's what's guaranteed in 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. See, when you really believe in something, this was the advantage that the apostles had. They had seen it and they believed it. And when you believe it with your whole heart, you live it out. That's what you see from people. When they really put their life into something, they live it out. And it's really reflected by how they spend their money, and it's really reflected by the time that they spend. So you look at their pocketbook, and you look at their calendar, and you can see the things that are important to people, what they really, truly believe in. And the apostles, they're going to stick with it. They're going to stick with it. And they're not going to back down, even though the enemy is going to do everything they can to stop it. And chapter 5 of Acts starts with a shocking, scandalous uh, little incident that happens when a married couple decides, hey, we're going to give to the church. And so they sell some land. And they give part of the money that they had made, and they gave it to the apostles. And they wanted everybody to look at them and see how great they were. But they, when they gave the money, they said they gave all the money, even though they held back some of it. And so there's a couple things that they did wrong. They were not only lying to the apostles, more importantly, they're lying to God. They're lying to the Holy Spirit. But they're also being very hypocritical. They're caught in an act of hypocrisy, trying to gain spiritual valor, spiritual praise from people. So they wanted people to look at them and say, wow, look at them. Look at what they did for the kingdom. They went and sold some land, and they gave all of that money to the apostles for people that were in need problem is they didn't sell all the money and God gets angry with them yes God does get angry and both of them drop dead you don't think that God doesn't take things seriously read Acts 5 he takes sin very seriously and so they decided they're going to lie and cheat against the Holy Spirit they get caught they end up dead Instead of, though, and this is kind of where it gets interesting, instead of this situation where two people drop dead in church, it doesn't actually hinder the church from its church growth. The church actually continues to grow. More and more believers are added to the numbers, and the apostles continued to defy the religious leaders who had given them specific and strict warning and specific instructions not to do anything in the name of Jesus. And they were doing everything in the name of Jesus. So, like, they're being told, don't do anything in the name of Jesus. We're like, we're going to do everything in the name of Jesus. We're not going to stop. And you're going to even see that tonight. So in verses 12 through 16, the apostles are not only preaching in Christ's name, they are healing people, they are casting out demons, they are standing on the authority of Jesus Christ. Doing exactly what they were asked to do by God, 
and doing exactly what they were asked not to do by man. And so they are witnesses telling everyone. And my question is, how are we doing at living that kind of life? How are we doing at being witnesses to Jesus Christ? How are we doing at living out the mission? And that question is going to be a constant theme tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 5. We're going to start in verse 17. <coughs> Acts chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the lobby, and you can keep it if you can actually read that really tiny print. You need to get Bibles that have larger print. <laughs> I got those Bibles about six years ago, and I guess my eyes were better. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what it says. It says the high priest and the officials who were the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them into public jail. Notice it says they were arrested because of their jealousy. They're jealous of the apostles. The, the apostles have the largest, fastest, they're the fastest growing church at the time. They're getting a lot of notoriety. And one of the biggest hurdles that we can have in life is the hurdle of jealousy. Always looking at what others are doing. Always uh, looking at what others have and the attention that they receive. This isn't new. This is actually why they killed Jesus. Jesus was gaining in popularity and they didn't like it. He was also preaching something that ruined their message. And so they had him killed. If we kill Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And so they thought, we kill him. And it will do what dead things do. And what do dead things do? They die. They stay dead. But unfortunately for them, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus ascends into heaven so that the power of God can come full strength through the Holy Spirit. So things don't diminish. It actually starts getting distributed. And there's nothing they can do. They can try to hold back that water, and there's nothing they can do. Verse 19, it continues, but an angel of the Lord came at night. Remember, they're in the public jail. Angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then the angel told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Go ahead and continue to do this in the temple. Now, this is pretty interesting. This is exactly what we would probably want to happen if we were locked up in prison. We'd want the gates to be open. But it's important to note, this is God's decision to open the gates. I want to make sure you hear this. This is so important. It's God's decision to open up the gates or not. I think what happens so often for us is we often focus on the times when God rattles the cell doors and they get opened. We concentrate on the diseases that go away or the piece of pe people being spared a physical death. And we talk about how amazing that is that they had great faith and God did this. And those are great things and those are great stories to tell. We love telling those stories. But God doesn't promise this at all. In fact, in Luke 21, verses 12 through 13, it says, but before 
all, his, all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. It's an opportunity. And then he says this in 16. You can read it up there. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you. Notice it does not say that if you guys have great faith, here's what we'll do. We'll spare you the difficult life. But we like to focus on Daniel escaping the jaws of the lions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who walk out of the furnace and they're unscathed. They don't even smell like smoke. It's like they went into an air-conditioned cooler. But guess what? There are way more stories in the Bible of people that made an incredible sacrifice. John the Baptist had amazing faith. In fact, regarded by Jesus as the greatest. And he had his head chopped off, lifted off of his shoulders and placed and presented on a platter. Stephen, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, just a few chapters from where we are right now, will be stoned to death, and yet he had great faith. All the apostles, except for John, will be executed for their faith. I like the way John Piper says it. He says, no angel came to rescue them. It is precious when he comes, but it is also precious when he doesn't. Paul would later say that it is more blessed for him if he was to actually die. So we need to be careful with an attitude that God will heal everyone of everything every time and he'll save you from every single condition. Because simply put, God is God and his power is precious when the gates are open and when the gates remain closed. Verse 21 says, So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began to teach. And here they go again, right back at it, doing exactly what they were told by God and told not to do by men. And so, don't get discouraged. They didn't get distraught. They just kept living on mission. They didn't get distracted. Verse 21 continues, says, when the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. The only problem is, are they in jail? Nope. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. And so they returned to the council and reported, um, <laughs> the jail was securely locked, guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Where is Andy Dufresne? We don't know. See, I'm, I'm fascinated with prisons. I really am. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Shawshank Redemption. If you're ever in Mansfield, Ohio, go to the Mansfield Correction Facility. That's where they filmed the whole movie. 
How that movie did not win Best Picture is beyond me. Pink and poor is bad. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still bitter. I can't believe it. I like both, but shocking for them. It's interesting that the most secured prison in the world is right here in the state of Colorado. It's a super maximum sentence. And there ain't nobody getting out. <laughs> but the one thing that prisons are designed to do, that jails are designed to do, they're designed to keep people locked up. And so when they go there and discover that they are no longer locked up, this is a problem with our security system. Verse 24 says, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. And then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. So... Not only are the guys not locked up in jail, they went right back to do what they were told not to do, and they're doing it in the temple, and they're exactly there right now. Now, it's almost like the apostles are acting like disobedient children, right? Or obedient men of God. It's fascinating when you instruct your children not do something, you sit them down, you look at them in the eyes, and you say it as clearly as possible, do not do, and you can fill in the blank, do not do that. Do you understand? Yeah. Do you clearly understand? Yeah. Okay. And then 60 seconds later, what? They're right back doing the thing that you told them not to do. That is disobedient children. But the men are not disobedient children, but rather they are obedient, obedient men of God. They hear from God what to do. They hear from men what to not do. And they are going to make a decision. And here's where all the followers of Jesus, including us, have to make a decision of what we are going to do. Are we going to stick to the commission of Christ? Or are we going to fold to the pressure and the opinions of the world? Are you going to live a life on mission or just attend church and check that little box off of your things that you think you need to do? And there is a difference between attending church and living a life on mission and just attending church and being a consumer. Verses 26 through 28 says this, So the captain went with his temple guards and they arrested the apostles again but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them if they got violent. So then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Notice they'll never say the name of Jesus. I'm going to go through this, and you're going to notice they will never say Jesus again. We will say, never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Did you catch that? We get our second glimpse of the problem. See, the first glimpse is they were filled with jealousy. The numbers of believers continued to grow, and it was gaining in popularity 
And even when two of their own members drop dead, more and, pe more and more people believe. But then we have a second thing that is an issue for them. Is that they feel like you are placing the blood of Christ on our hands. Nobody wants somebody's death on their hands, right? And they didn't. You want to put the blood of this man on us. And yet he still won't name name of Jesus. So not only do they not even want to hear about the name of Jesus, they won't even say his name. But notice how quickly they forget. Now, if you're a gospel person, you love studying the gospels, you know this, but they have quickly forgotten something that is very clear in the book of Matthew, and it starts in verse 27. I'm going to read part of it, and then I'll put up on the screen the part that I really want you to hear. Pilate Who's the, who's the Roman governing body at the time in that area said to them, then what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was about to begin, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You catch that? That's Pilate saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And then here it is. And all the people answered, including the religious leaders, and they're the ones that are being heard, shouted, his blood be on us and our children. You catch that? They're like, you know what? Let the blood of this man be on us, not you. They wanted him dead so badly that they were willing to allow his blood to be placed on them. And the real victims of this is their children. So in less than 60 days, the religious leaders chose to ignore their word in front of the Roman governor. In less than 60 days, the religious leaders chose to lie, breaking one of the biggies of the 613 laws that they were so adamant about, and they wanted everybody else to live by. We've all heard the term, be careful what you ask for, because you actually might get exactly what you ask for. And this is what they asked for. And Peter reminds them of it right now. Remember Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, are the primary force behind the Christian church movement. And they always take the opportunity to share the message of Jesus. They never miss an opportunity to share Jesus. And so they're going to do that right here. Verse 29 says, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Now, 
I put them, I highlighted them, but I wanted you to catch a few of the things that they made very clear here. The first thing is this. Um, we obey God, not you. Uh, he is our authority, not you. Let's be crystal clear about this because that is never going to stop. You can beat us. You can threaten us. You can even kill us. And we will never stop obeying God. And we will never stop sharing his message with the world. The second thing that you would have noticed is, oh, by the way, you killed him by hanging him on a cross. That whole, don't place his blood on our hands. In the Greek, the way it is said, the put to death, is diakarizo. I think that's how you say it in the Greek which is used twice in the book of Acts, means to put to death with one's own hands. So Peter is now insisting that they are as guilty as if they had actually killed Jesus with their very own hands. Third thing, God would raise him up from the grave. And he is now at the place of honor at the right hand of God. And the fourth thing is this, you guys need to repent of your sins so that you can be forgiven. What God offers through his son Jesus, he offers to you. You need to believe it, you need to repent of the sins that you have, and you need to embrace the forgiveness that only comes through the cross. So verse 33 says, when they heard this, the high council was furious, and they decided to kill them. But one member of the Pharisees named Gamaliel, who was in an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chambers for a while. And this guy is a very, very respected rabbi, one of the top two in the region. Okay? So very well respected, and they are going to listen to him. And then he said to his colleagues, he says, he's like, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Thaddeus, Theodos, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, and, but he was killed. And all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. Different Judas, not the one that betrayed Jesus. But he got people to follow him, but he was killed. And all of his followers were scattered. So he brings up two illustrations of men who pretended to be someone great. But they died, and they did what dead people do, which is they stayed dead. But the followers, the witnesses, they would just go their own way. They just lived their lives. Verse 38 says, so my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. If history repeats itself... Okay, which usually it does, then this whole Christianity thing is going to just die off. 
instead of giving them more attention, let's just let them be. So if this is just a mankind-made thing, it's going to die. Verse 39 says this, but, he's like, but, if it is from God, then you will not be able to overthrow it. This will be you on the other side of the Hoover Dam trying to hold something back that you will have no possible way of holding back. There's nothing that you can do. If it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and they had them flogged and beaten. And then they ordered them again, never again, to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And again, they are told to not speak in the name of Jesus. And I love verses 41 to 42. It says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing. Catch this. They had just been beaten, flogged. And the apostles leave rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. So instead of buckling under the pressure of what the world and culture stand up for the things that truly matter to God. And if you get pushback, let's just have the attitude that the apostles had and consider it a privilege and honor to actually suffer in the name of Jesus. And I know what you're thinking, Jeff, it's easy to say that. It's not so fun when it actually happens. And I get that. That's why we must in Christ. The closer you get with him, the closer you are to him, the more you will be able to endure. And when you have the intimacy that he desires that you intend, you can do anything. So, he basically says, here's the deal. If it is man, it'll fail. But it is, if it is God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. You see, Jesus wasn't someone pretending to be someone great. He was someone great. John the Baptist never claimed to be great, but he pointed everyone to the one who is great. And in the process, Jesus crushes Satan. But then there's our part. I want you to make sure you catch this. As Christ followers, as believers, we get the opportunity to ride that wave that God is going to send. You get to be a part of it. When I lived in Southern California, one of my favorite things to do was go surfing. The first time I went surfing, I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. All right? We went out down by trails, and we paddled out, and I sat on my longboard, and I, it was gorgeous, watched the sun come up, I'm out with my buddy Larry, we are talking, we are praying, we are having a great time, and he continues to ride waves and then come back out and hang out and talk with me. And at some point in time, Larry goes, um, you need to paddle and ride a wave. I'm like, what? 
can't we just sit out here on my board and keep talking? <laughs> he goes, nope, and here's one coming. And he said, paddle hard. And I did. And I rode that thing all the way to the shore. Had no idea to do, I had no idea what to do when he gets to the shore. He didn't tell me that. And I landed right in the rocks. But I rode my first wave. And folks, here's what God is going to do. He is going to send wave after wave after wave of opportunities to do amazing things and great things for the kingdom of God. And you get the decision of whether or not you're just going to sit there or if you're actually going to pop up and ride that wave and do something extraordinary for God's kingdom. Ride that wave. And be like, what does that look like? I'm going to close with this. You're going to grow in Christ Jesus. You're going to tune into the word of God. And then you're going to go in Christ Jesus. And the third thing is you're going to make disciples. What does making a disciple look like? It's way more than just this, but it starts with this. It starts with sharing the gospel story. And so we're going to end with the question. And this isn't made to make you feel bad. But just to get you thinking. Who in the last six months who have you been trying to share Jesus with? Who in the last year have you been trying to share Jesus with? Who is it right now that you're trying to share Jesus with? And if your answer is nobody, then my encouragement is find somebody. Find somebody that you can share Jesus with. Catch that wave and ride it as best as you can. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you give us a gospel story to tell and to share with the world. And I pray that we will not be a church, Father God, that just sits out in the water and we watch other people surf those waves, that we will actually pop up and we will take advantage of every single opportunity that we have to share your gospel message, to speak life into people. And as the church planters always say, eternity hangs in the balance. Help us to be so concerned with people's salvation that we can't shut up about our faith in them. Help us 